Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. So glad you're with us for the Wednesday edition of the Three Martini Lunch. Thanksgiving's just one day away. Uh, as longtime Three Martini Lunch listeners know, on Wednesday and Friday of Thanksgiving week, Jim and I do a couple of very special podcasts. Uh, today, we're going to be taking a look at the three things each of us are politically, politically thankful for. And then on Friday, since there is no podcast on Thursday, I'll be taking a look at our Black Friday special, the Three Martini Lunch, and uh, coming up with some gifts for some of our favorite, or maybe not our favorite, political figures here in, at the end of 2019. So uh, let's talk about what we're politically grateful for. Jim, lead us off. Sure. Um, I, look, in terms of politics, it's a bit of a rebuilding year for gratitude. Um, <laughs> I'm not feeling warm and fussy towards a lot of people in our political arena, but there are a few I want to say, hey, you know what, you're doing a good job. Uh, or maybe, in a, you know, my third choice would be kind of a, a particularly ironic choice. Uh, but I want to begin with um, U.S. Uh, Attorney John Durham. I uh, wrote about him at the beginning of the month. Um, a really, arguably the best or, or most experienced or just the most sterling resume uh, of any U.S. prosecutor. Um, built it, you know, made his bones, so to speak, up against the mob up in New England. Um, long and distinguished career. He's handled a lot of high profile issues involving national security and intelligence in very sensitive manners. And he's always come out of it with people saying, wow, this guy is thorough, he is professional, he is fair. And he is the guy who Attorney General Barr has asked to look into the start of the 2016 uh, investigation, the, the investigation into Trump surrounding the 2016 presidential election campaign. This is about as big a political hot potato as they can possibly get. And obviously Barr has come under a great deal of criticism. Um, Durham has been named a lot in the press, but until I did my profile, I really, you know, felt like there wasn't much. Okay, so who is this guy? Well, the short answer is he's exactly the kind of guy you'd want to trust with a high stakes decision and, and high stakes investigation like this. He is one of the few people who is absolutely trusted by both sides of the aisle. Um, there's no indication that this guy has got a political agenda or a grudge or, or anything like that. And, you know, there's no guarantee as to when he will come up with his decision. It may come before the 2020 election. It may come afterwards. Um, but either way, when when Durham comes back, if he comes back with indictments, there's a really good chance he's going to get a conviction. He's got a fantastic record in this. If he comes back and says, I could not prove I do not have enough evidence to prove a conviction here, um, then I think it's safe to say no other prosecutor would have said, oh, no, there's something, you know, you, he missed something. Or something. He's very methodical, very clear. Everybody respects him as a straight shooter. And I'm glad to know people like this are still in our government. There's a you know, this sense that everything gets politicized and there's nobody who can be trusted by everybody. But uh, so far uh, throughout his job, his career, John Durham has done a terrific job of being that guy that everybody can trust to make the right call and to be a fair and honest dealer with everybody he's dealing with. So um, kudos to him. God knows when we're going to hear from him, but I think they have the right guy and the right job. And I'm glad to hear that. And fortunately, we're not in a, such a polarized uh, climate that regardless of what he uh, concludes, I'm sure everyone on both sides of the aisle will look back at his sterling record and realize that this was all on the up and up and there's not going to be any political axe to grind whatsoever. So I look forward to that. Yeah, that, that will be that. But anybody who anybody who matters, dare I say, <laughs> will, will recognize, right? I mean, anybody who's fair minded will say, OK, yeah, you know, if, if Durham's, you know, the, the idea that, oh, Durham had an axe to grind, is just, there's no justification for that. So, you know, that's good enough in my book. All right. Let's stay with the legal realm for a while. And uh, when Republicans had control of everything, uh, it was a little frustrating that more didn't get done legislatively. But now that we're in divided government and the odds of the 
House and Senate agreeing on anything other than continuing resolutions uh, seems pretty darn low at this point. Uh, The Senate's main job is confirming people. And confirm people, they are. We are at a pretty good clip here when it comes to judicial confirmations. We've obviously got the two Supreme Court justices of the Trump era in Gorsuch and Kavanaugh. And uh, based on the limited track record we have so far, I think conservatives ought to be pretty pleased with those nominations. Gorsuch uh, appears to be an absolute rock star is not the right word for the court. Should never be the word for the court. But uh, (laughs) certainly some his guitar solos are awesome. He's a constitutionalist rock star. Is that is that a phrase? There we go. Um, Anyway, uh, last I checked, and I don't know if a couple other confirmations squeaked in since uh, this report that I saw, but 164 uh, federal judges have been confirmed, including uh, dozens to the appellate court. In fact, there were just reports in the past few days. Uh, they call it Circuit Court of Appeals flips. You never know how these judges are going to rule, and I hate to see it in a partisan way. What you want is people who understand the Constitution, don't see the courts as activists, and if that's who Trump has nominated here, and that's certainly the, the the story we're being led to believe at this point. We'll see as they continue to rule on these cases. But uh, with the 11th Circuit, the 2nd Circuit, the 3rd Circuit, and actually it's almost an even split now on the 9th Circuit, believe it or not. So uh, depending on how active... Uh, the Senate can be here in the coming year, and if Trump were to be reelected, um, it could remake the judiciary for quite a while to come here. And Jim, it's obviously at a point now where we put way too much importance on the courts. Everybody's like waited with bated breath, like uh, is the three-pointer going to drop every time we get to June and some of these big uh, Supreme Court cases get decided, usually by fairly narrow majorities. But in the end, uh, regardless of how they're viewed from the political spectrum, if people are respecting the Constitution first and seeing themselves as impartial rather than an activist, uh, these are going to be very successful nominations and confirmations, and that'll be good for conservatives who actually appreciate the Constitution going forward. Greg, you know you've got a good choice, but I'm like, darn it, why didn't I think of that? (laughs) And uh, that's the way I feel about that one, so I'm glad you thought of it. Who's your number two? All right, so kind of a little surprising here. Um, I don't know how all of our listeners have greeted the very early start to the 2020 election cycle and how Democrats started announcing, well, you know, uh, Delaney announced back in 2017, but, you know, most of this, it started pretty early in this uh, in this year. Um, but there have been two, at least two pleasant surprises. I am thankful for Andrew Yang and Marianne Williamson, and not because I'm likely to vote for either one of them. And I, you know, they may or may not even be on the ballot by the time Virginia votes, I don't plan on voting in the Democratic presidential primary, but, you know, as we forced to watch all of these debates, at least as I am for my job, they're two human beings who seem pleasant. <laughs> um, Andrew Yang, I, I don't agree with all of his ideas, uh, seems like a guy who's really thought long and hard about the kind of challenges facing our economy. And he's discussing topics that really nobody else in the political arena really is paying all that much attention to, like automation and AI and things like that. Um, and Marianne Williamson. You know, God, just the, this beautiful, wondrous, absolute kook um, who, who, you know, you never know whether she's going to break out a Ouija board and conduct a seance or uh, speak for the dead or be possessed or, or talk about hearts and flowers and, and this astrological signs. It sounds like I'm making fun of her, but I actually find her uh, interesting to listen to. And I think a lot of people on the right feel like, you know, no pun intended, wrong, you know, right church, wrong pew. Um, the sense that when she talks about the, the spiritual health of the country, first of all, we're not used to hearing that from Democrats. Uh, and secondly, she talks about this, you know, the, the, the uh, sense of despair. She talks about spiritual matters as if they matter. That's really kind of refreshing. I think a lot of folks in the right of center world would agree with that. So Andrew Yang, Marianne Williamson, you're always welcome at my Thanksgiving table. Um, you know, in a year where we kind of figured we were getting a lot of 
the same old, same old trite talking points. Both of you brought something different to the discussion, and I am thankful for that. I'd rather have Marianne Williamson up there than Tom Steyer. I can uh, definitely <laughs> say, say that at this point. But yeah, I mean, I, I agree with that point because it's so obvious that so many of these candidates have uh, honed their message over months and probably years and even decades in the case of folks like Biden and, and Warren and so forth. And uh, just folks who kind of come with a real approach. And you can manufacture a quote-unquote real approach, too. We've seen folks try to do it and flop immensely at it. But uh, but Yang is uh, seems like a guy that you could watch a game with and hang out with. And that's not necessarily the only standard for voting for somebody for president. But uh, somebody who gets it from a real-world perspective is, is, is great because you see these people. I think it was just Kamala Harris last week who admitted she's never held a job in the private sector. She's in her 50s, for heaven's sake. And so... Somebody who just understands the challenges that everyday families face. That's exactly what uh, resonates with a lot of people. It's not resonating to the extent that uh, either one of them is likely to do much uh, in the primaries. But Yang keeps getting on the debate stage. And if he ever gets asked more than one or two questions over the course of a couple hours, uh, he might uh, be able to make some inroads here in the last few weeks before people actually vote. There are a lot of times where you'd be like, you know, oh, I didn't run to win. I ran to make to, to send a message or I ran to, you know, influence the debate. In a lot of cases, that's a, well, I, I really fooled myself into thinking I could be president. And I fell remarkably short of that. So this is my, you know, but in the case of both of these candidates, um, I, I think that is accurate. I don't think there were a lot of people who figured, yeah, you know, this, this guy nobody's ever heard of as a tech executive uh, is going to end up being the next president of the United States. And he has influenced the debate. And he's built, you know, obviously, it's a, uh, it's a small, but I think, you know, a very vocal grassroots army. Um, and, you know, good for these guys. You know, this, this is one of those cases where, like, you know, the beating expectations really does matter uh, when you start from nothing. And, you know, good for these. But we don't know exactly what the future is going to hold for either one of them. But uh, I think, like I said, I think the discussion and the debate has been better for their presence. Excellent. I was going to include, uh, if I was feeling more cynical, and I certainly was when I sketched out the original list for this, just that Beto and Kirsten Gillibrand are out because uh, <laughs> their their fakeness was uh, was wearing thin. Uh, their increasingly extreme rhetoric was wearing thin. But I'm trying to stay more positive here. Uh, and uh, as long as we're talking about good judges, let's talk about decent executives. And it's still early in the game, but we've had him as the good martini a couple times just in his first year as governor of Florida, and that's Ron DeSantis. This this is a guy who ran in the primary last year. Everybody thought he was going to be this polarizing figure throughout the the, the general election campaign uh, because of that, and he wasn't. Uh, he did barely win the election against Andrew Gillum, but now he's looking at approval ratings just in the stratosphere where women and minorities, he is uh, getting positive ratings. And the reason he's doing it is not because he's jamming some ideological agenda down the throat, but he is following constitutional principles. He's appointed three solid justices to the Florida State Supreme Court. Uh, he's taken a more reasonable approach to dealing with environmental challenges and and cleaning it up when it comes to the Everglades. Uh, and uh, it's not to say that he's had a perfect run here. He's certainly got his detractors still, but he's going at it from more of a common sense, uh, conservative practical approach to government. I think people respond to that. You just try to make their lives a little bit better, get the government off their backs and run a competent government and make it a little bit smaller. People respond well to that. My guess would be uh, the decisions taken regarding the Broward Sheriff's Office uh, yeah. turned a lot of heads. It was getting results in an area where um, you know there, there had not been a, a quick decision. Uh, it was decisive and I think public opinion was clearly on the governor's side. You know, do what you say you're going to do. Um, and explain to the public why you're making your decisions. Be clear about it. Be direct about it. Don't you know equivocate. 
And by golly, a bunch of people who you know, find themselves start nodding in agreement. And, uh, you know, people people like accountability regardless of party. And that's a, that's a good direction for Governor DeSantis to be moving in. Absolutely. Absolutely. So we'll see how it goes for the next three years or however many uh, years he gets to be governor down there in Florida. But uh, his popularity could end up being a factor possibly in the uh, presidential race. But uh, somehow when Trump's involved, uh, everything takes on a life of its own and the other factors kind of fade to the background. But we'll see. We'll see. Florida's happy with their Republican governor. And I think DeSantis is a decent role model for other folks who are either in office or running for office. I mean, so much of the attention in our political climate these days is about sniping back and forth, trading insult for insult, or pointing out what the uh, person in power from the other party is doing is so wrong. But actually having a record to point to of uh, common sense, staying true to your conservative principles, and getting stuff done that people appreciate is a great example for others to follow. All right. Last round of things we're politically thankful for. Go for it. Yeah. So we, we I've tried to avoid cynicism uh, with with these, but I, I, I ran out after two. Right. <laughs> um, I was going to make it. A, be, is it this is a little tongue in cheek, but there's actually a point to this. And that, Greg, I am thankful for anonymous. Really? That as yet unidentified. Well, allegedly unidentified. Some of us have very strong suspicions. Uh, official appointed by Trump, who's been apparently working against him from the beginning. Um, ran, wrote a New York Times op-ed, and now there's a whole book de- the whole book coming out uh, hitting bookstores soon. Um, I, I am thankful for this administration, not for for uh, opposing the president. I think it's just anonymous provides just a perfect shining example of what not to do. Um, I, I think there were a decent number of people who entered the Trump administration not necessarily being 100% on board with the president and his agenda. But they thought that they could either, you know, help to steer the president in the right direction or they believed that they had a duty to serve their country. But for whatever reason, they ended up in, you know, in their uh, appointed positions, uh, confirmed by the Senate. And all of a sudden, the president starts making decisions they disagree with. And, you know, part of your job in the cabinet, you're allowed to give the president your, Mr. President, I think this is wrong and here's why. Apparently, Anonymous did not find himself being listened to. Uh, And so then, you know, Anonymous decided to start working against uh, the president of the United States uh, from the inside. I think this is dishonorable. I think if you don't agree with the president, you, you almost have a duty to resign. I don't think staying in here and saying, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sabotage him. I'm going to do what I can to make sure I'm going to let him think that I'm trying to work for him, but secretly I'm pushing the inference. No, no, this is, not, this is not good for democracy. This is not good for accountability regarding policy. Um, if you don't like it, then resign. And we've seen plenty of people resign. I think, we, you know, there are obviously a whole bunch of people uh, uh, who started out in this administration left on very bad terms. You could probably say, you know, count the number of people who ended on good terms and, uh, on, a, on, on maybe two hands or something like that. But I think this is exactly wrong. If my theory is correct, Anonymous has left the administration. They said it's not clear from the tone in the law in the in the book. No one says you have to agree with everything the president does. And Lord knows lots of people and lots of administrations have, you know, sucked it up and said, you know what, fine, I'm going to do my job. I don't like this decision, but I have a duty to carry out my, you know, I I have a duty to carry out and I'm going to do it. And that's, that's, you know, that's fine. It's the way government has always operated. The idea that, you know, under this president, well, because he's really unique and the way he speaks, the way he talks, the way he thinks, look, if you don't like the policies, step down. 
make room for somebody else who does want to carry them out. You want to make your argument to the public that what you've seen from the president makes him uh, a very bad president, not to be worthy of reelected. You can, you're free to do that. And that's what Scarabucci is doing. And I could, Greg, I can only imagine what he saw in that whole 11 days. <laughs> so many examples. But you know, again, I think Anonymous is kind of a spectacularly uh, vivid example of what not to do, of, of you know, dishonorability. Um, and it's kind of pleasing to see the criticism he's been getting. He's, you know, Anonymous is not being raved as some sort of, you know, I think Anonymous thought he would get praised as a hero. And he's not. And I think he, whether you love the president, whether you hate the president, there's a part of it's like, you know, either do your business or get off the pot, man. Right. You know, one or the other, either you're with the president or you're not. None of this secretly trying to undo him from the inside. It's not uh, that's not what you're supposed to do in our government. Uh, it's bad faith. And there's nothing particularly heroic or noble about it. So uh, in a very strange way. Thank you, Anonymous. You've been a role model for us all. I think what Scaramucci mostly remembers from those 11 days is uh, the face of John Kelly as he pointed to him towards the exit, uh, because uh, yeah. that's pretty much how that ended. No, I think it was blowing the kiss during the press conference, Greg. <laughs> Who loves you, baby? <laughs> Kelly Savalas. Uh, do you still uh, claim it as the same person that you did uh, originally? Oh, I, the whole time, John... Oh, Greg, I'm sorry. I called you John for some reason. Um, I've been on the hunts for this man for quite some time, John. It's it's a John Huntsman type scenario. Now, people, some people might be like, Jim, John Huntsman, you know, said he would never do anything like that in a million years. And, you know, there was some of the wording of the when the controversy around the original op-ed came out that struck me as not quite entirely convincing. And I just I've always seen John Huntsman as the weirdest, uh, most unexpected figure to. Served in this administration. John Huntsman, up until very recently, served as U.S. ambassador to Russia. It's kind of interesting. We didn't hear a great deal from John Huntsman in this role. I think he generally, you know, as far as anyone could tell, he was keeping his head down and doing his job the way he could. But John Huntsman just seemed like the kind of guy who'd want to um, uh, have take credit for working in the administration, but also simultaneously get credit for opposing it from all of the uh, uh, all the folks who oppose the president. I could be very wrong. Can't imagine uh, where you get that good. perspective on John Huntsman from, considering he was what the ambassador to China. <laughs> he was such a loyal guy everywhere else. <laughs> then, ran, yeah. then ran for president against Obama. Yeah, I mean, you know, listen. If he doesn't run against Trump this year, it'll mark the first time in like eight years he hasn't run against the president who appointed him to be an ambassador. <laughs> That's uh, not like John Huntsman. He never turned against a president <laughs> who gave him a job. He's planning to run for governor of Utah, it seems like. So uh, I'm guessing he's going to keep this as quiet as humanly possible because if he uh, writes an anti-Trump book, his odds of being elected in Utah, based on how Mitt Romney's approval ratings are going right now, uh, might not be as good as they were if he keeps it quiet. So Yeah, I mean, that would take him down to relatives. And that's like, what, only 40 percent of the vote there in Utah, right? Moving right along. Moving right along. <laughs> the other 40 percent are also Romney relatives. So there you go. Utah well, listeners, we love you. <laughs> Ah, you know, was at the original top of my list, and I'm just going to mention this because it's not officially my last one. I'm really thankful for our military, and I'm specifically thankful that they killed al-Baghdadi because that was an amazing mission. Another great example of our special forces getting in there and getting the job done. No one's particularly sad that he's dead, so let's go with that. But here's here's my final one. Uh, We just talked about it earlier in the week with the uh, uh, local elections in Hong Kong, and that's 
protesters standing up for their freedom and pushing for freedom in some areas uh, with obviously great risk facing them if they are unsuccessful. We're seeing it with the students and others now who have joined them uh, with the protests in Hong Kong that have been going on for months. Uh, they now know that they've got a lot of the folks in Hong Kong behind them, even though they don't necessarily hear it every day. Uh, these elections should be a great encouragement. We're seeing it in Iran where the government raised fuel prices a ridiculous amount, and the people are taking to the streets again. They're being repressed, some of them killed, a lot of them in prison, but they're still taking to the streets because they see this as another opportunity uh, to yearn for freedom, to strive for freedom, because it's been denied to them for so long. We obviously often take it for granted in this country until uh, we see a political threat or or otherwise, and then we stand up and, and fight for it. Uh, it's a great reminder from these folks who are either in danger of losing freedom in the case of Hong Kong or desperately want their freedom in the case of Iran and, and other countries around the region as well, that freedom is precious, and when you have it, you should cherish it and do everything you can to protect it. And so they're a great example and a great reminder of everything we have to be thankful for in this country. You know, Greg, I think it's an excellent choice, and it makes me look bad. Well, we hope that your Thanksgiving goes well. Uh, every year at this time, we get these uh, how to talk to your uncle. It's crazy from the opposite perspective. I don't know how many families actually deal with that. I have family members who don't necessarily agree with me politically, but we always seem to have a great time because we're, you know, able to talk about other things. Uh, There was also the guy on Twitter this week who was uh, talking about changing his Wi-Fi password so all of his conservative relatives would have to type in, what was it, impeach 45 just to get uh, Wi-Fi. Hopefully we can put all that behind us and just have a great Thanksgiving. I was about to say, Greg, do you think that guy really has a lot of people coming over for (laughs) us? Not anymore. I mean, maybe, you know, like, just, dear America, try not to show too much contempt to your family members this weekend. And also at the same time, just, you know, be be nice, appreciate them while they're there. You never know when you're going to lose them. And, uh, you know, and if you do happen to be rude to them, please spare us the op-ed telling us what a hero you are for throwing mashed potatoes at them. Oh, Jim, obviously we would be remiss to not uh, remind everyone that we are very thankful for our Three Martini Lunch listeners. Uh, You folks are fantastic. It's great to hear from you on a regular basis. It's uh, fun to interact with you. Jim, always uh, great uh, to remember this time of year how thankful I am uh, to do the podcast with you. It's great fun every day. Always the best part of my day. And it continues to be great fun even as the news cycle gets crazier and crazier. Greg, I I completely agree. Um, Getting to vent to you and to all of our listeners is is good for my sanity. Yeah, this is about as sane as I get, folks. And uh, thank you for playing. I don't know know whether the Abbott to my Costello or the Costello to my Abbott, but... uh, I'm very appreciative of everyone who seems to enjoy us chatting every day. Hopefully we bring a little little breath of fresh air to you around midday or whenever it finally gets posted online. <laughs> That's all right. So, folks, be safe on the roads. Have a fantastic Thanksgiving. So much to be thankful for. We are richly blessed uh, as individuals and as a nation. Enjoy that time. We'll be off tomorrow, back with our Black Friday special on Friday and back with our regular podcast on the following Monday. Have a great Thanksgiving and tune in for the next Three Martini Lunch.